Hello, and welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we are continuing our discussion on Summer Always Hungry by June Jung. Today, we will be focusing on our favorites from the first half of the collection. Well, um, we've we are so we're you know putting some more quarters in uh, in the podcast so that we can continue. Um, and um, as Vanessa was saying, you know, today we're going to be looking at just about the first half of um, this uh, very powerful collection, debut collection from Yong Yong. Um, and uh, you know, we were talking pre-show um, about you know, uh, which poems we wanted to cover. Um, and maybe even, you know, um, before we get to the, to the poems, you know, we were talking last time about the epigraphs. And so the epigraph for the whole collection, I don't think we talked about it, but it's, it's, a an American poet, uh, Lee Young Yi, Lee, who writes of wisdom, splendid columns of light, waking sweet foreheads. I know nothing, but what I've glimpsed in my most hopeful of daydreams of a world without end. Amen. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting uh, epigraph because it kind of represents, it puts up this prayer to the world um, of hope and, and dreams um, and light. You know, and, and it's kind of this almost like um, reminds me of of epics with you know their their invocations right to the muse. Um, so this is what the the words that wrap around um, Young's collection. Uh, and then we you know we get to um, you know to um, a, a poem that opens the poem that opens the collection by the name of All Female on page three. I mean, on page one, um, I know you all said you 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 all wanted to talk about this one. So, um, what did you all want to say about the opening poem? Yeah. Um, well, I know I know Vanessa, you want to talk about the end of the poem, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of I'll kind of like lead into it. I'm always fascinated mm-hmm. how poets put together their collections of work. And it's it's fun to see themes and places and names, common threads come out all throughout. And so I'm always fascinated um, how, you know, they des- decided to organize these throughout their collection. Um, I think this is a great first poem because I think it, it really does. I mean, in addition to the epigraph, sets up the rest of the book, um, not just in, in name, but also in theme. And so... Um, even I, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, there are a lot of teachable things about this poetry in terms of technique and form and just, I think, beautiful writing. I think sometimes we overanalyze technique to death that we forget about the beauty of it all. And, you know, she, her description here, the first stanza, um, you know, sets up, you know, this book that's filled with, with women and sets up you know, from the very first stanza, we know that it's going to be very food heavy. And as we've discussed in many episodes of this podcast, food is so important in culture, right? It's, uh, you know, culture mm-hmm. is the way we live our, our everyday lives. And 
so many of us grow up with memories and nostalgia for recipes for the ways our our mothers or family members made certain recipes um, that it can't compete with anything else um, and so in this case right we we learn a lot about some of the food because we're talking looking at women in the market and in terms of imagery it's just like an explosion of imagery because you're you know she's talking about the the sounds the gurgling tanks and the women talking in the streets you know uh talk talking prices for for all these and then you also just have the imagery of all the all the seafood that's there um and again cracking op- open um there's a there's a violence there from the very first stanza that I think is planted and it, it grows throughout the book. Um, and the very last line of the first stanza um, kind of sets up moments, I think, throughout the rest of the book. It says, the men watch game shows as we wreck the girls' bodies for row, and I don't know why. So um, she's she mentions kind of like men and men's, ro- men's rolling, like kind of them watching game shows or TV, or we see that a lot, like watching sports, whatever. Um, and the women in the working, doing doing kitchen work, or and in this case, the fact that she draws attention to the fact that uh, they're they're wrecking bodies, and in, in this case, particularly female bodies. Um, in this case, they're talking about the crabs that they picked up from the market. Um, there's so much, and and uh, she sets up her visceral imagery at the early onset of this poem, and it just it gets it grows throughout the book as well. And um, I know it just it leads into some some cool imagery. And I'd love to talk about some of that. Um, I do have some for the very last ends of this poem. But Vanessa, I know you wanted to talk about it as well. So go ahead and take it away. Yeah, um, I like that you mentioned themes because I feel like the emphasis on how much, I mean, of a matriarchal um, culture this is. Um, so there's like a really heavy emphasis on women throughout. And like the sacrifices that they make for their families. Um, so like in the third stanza, um, it says, it's always the girls for everything. When was the last time you've heard of rooster soup? We put the bodies to boil in salt and broth. And I, was, I thought that was really interesting because I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, what other food is it that we eat where it's not the female? So I, yeah, I don't know. Um. Was that was that it for the the poem, or did you have the last stanza mm. as well? No, I just I only had that one. Um, I I highlighted a couple of things that I thought were pretty nice and interesting about the last stanza. Um, first of all, there's just I think a a very beautiful image, I guess. Um, that doesn't necessarily have much to do with like themes of the poem, but I just, I love the way it's written and it says uh, outside the winter interrogates our windows fogged. Like what a awesome way of just saying the windows are fogged. Right. But like winter interrogates our window windows, um, lovely imagery. Um, but she does this thing here where again, I think where this poem sets up maybe the tone for the rest of the book um, there's this kind of dream sense or dream world in which she imagines a hypothetical situation of the crabs escaping their boiling death. Um, she uses a little bit of anaphora here and uh, the rep- 
repetition of the hypothetical if. I think she does this a little later on too with with the word say, like uh, these. So she creates these hypothetical situations, and I think it's the realm of the the fantastic that she brings into this this world of hyper realism, uh, of violence, and she you know it's a little, it's beautiful because it it's like a dream of escape. They it's not all in one piece, but um you know the very last couplet and you know these girls she's referencing the crabs rise up from their pot untangle their lakes from the perilla and leak so from the, whatever it's being added to so the legs are already detached but they grab them and they make for the sea with their limbs and their mat and their teeth which is i think what a wild image that amplifies what i was just kind of mentioning it's fantastic it's wild it's a, it's a little silly crazy but it it works and i think what she's trying to do here at least what i feel obviously right um and it works and it, it sets up the rest of the poet poems i think really well yeah you know and, and uh you know by the way I'm, I'm really enjoying just listening to you both um talking of breaking this poem down for uh, listeners um so I, I don't mind just you know being the the fly in the wall by the way um you know, but I think um, what, you know, y'all are just, um, you know, making really good comments uh, um, about the, the, the craft, right, of, of this first opening poem, setting the, the, the bar, right, for the rest of the collection, the themes that also, you know, run throughout the collection. Um, I like how in the first stanza, you know, the, I was looking up a lot of these things, right, and um, you know, for Roe, like it's, uh, I guess, from the eggs from the ovaries. And so, you know, there is that kind of, um, you know, what you were saying, Richie, right, of like violence against the, the female uh, gender. And um, um, in the second stanza, where you get the Helmione, uh, which I, I looked up and translates to grandmother, you know, it goes back to what you were saying, Vanessa, about the matriarchal uh, culture that we see in this collection as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think language-wise, it's really interesting too, because right from the first stanza, we get Cantonese, which is um, a Chinese language and spoken in, in Hong Kong from what I was reading. Um, so, you know, right away, you get that kind of, um, you know, Mary Louise Pratt's style contact zone right um and um you know at, at the at the end uh like you were saying richie i i, I do like that imagery of freedom and uh, escape and uh that you know um the pun there on leak right as if it's it's a gas that's leaking as well from the pot um so yeah i you know it, it's a, it's an amazing um poem to to begin our discussion i mean even the the sound of like reading it out loud now um there's that uh the repetition of the vowel sounds that you hear a little bit leak c teeth right you mm. also have like the hard consonants of leak and make yeah <laughs> just damn i love when the poets do this <laughs> <laughs> i'm all i'm all gushing over here and so this is barely, you know, the first poem, right? Um, so um, were you all ready to go to the, the one right on the next page? 
Yeah, this is uh, so this is page three. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to say a few words about this one. So this one is called My Grandmother Thinks of Love While Steeping Tea, which is a great title, by the way. Um, and um, so you have a, a poem here that is organized in couplets. And, um, you know, what drew me to this poem were my strong lines, I should say, uh, in the, the last uh, two couplets, um, which reads... Um, pull the tongue of gin ginger into your mouth and suck. I mean for you to taste. And then, you know, there's that uh, line break, your inheritance, the gunpowder, our soil. Um, so I, I really like how this poem, you know, begins with the, the imagery that is, um, you know, very uh, gustatory, you know, the ginger, sharp and sweet, um, the the duja rind, the cold cinnamon, the clove, the dates, you know, drinking it all out, the sunk honey. Um, so all of that, you know, is just beautiful gustatory imagery. Um, and then at the end here, you know, that gustatory becomes something uh, that is, you know, about the the land, right, and the passing down of things. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked about this in the first episode, if you all recall, our listeners, that there is um, this, this running through line in this collection of um, generations passing down their culture, passing down the recipes, passing down knowledge, and passing down, you know, um, pain uh, and memories. Um, and... Um, you know, in this case, the, the gunpowder to me just, um, you know, that, that notion of, of, of uh, colonialism and, um, you know, whether it's be, you know, the, the Korean War or the Japanese occupation or just, you know, just colonialism in general. Um, and what you mentioned, Richie, last time about the, the diaspora, right? And, you know, how some of these things are passed down in the midst of, of, of violence. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I really like that, you know, that it's, a, it's a kind of Volta to me at the end. Yeah, I definitely liked that. I, I highlighted the same thing that you, you had done and, mm -hmm. uh, noted, um, not just the use of the line break, but her use of enjambment. And I think mm -hmm. that's nice there, like your taste, um, or to taste, and then you spoke already so, so well on that. So just uh, other things I wanted to highlight about this particular poem is, is again, the title, um, and the, and the first couplet, the, first, the opening couplet, which I think, uh, I think is, is lovely too. It says, though you won't be sated, let me adore you in my way. Um, a lot of people show love through cooking, through food. And well, well, it should be. And, and it, I think we did mention this uh, maybe as a connection in the first episode. It did remind me of that, that one, uh, a couple of the short stories in uh, Benjamin Sines' book collection, Everything Begins and Ends at the Kentucky Club, where you kind of see cooking as a type of care, as a type of love language. And so this, this you know, is similar and, and in its own connection, right? Um, and I just, that's why I love poetry, I think, to be able to pack in so much meaning if if done mm -hmm. well 
you know in this case i think i think it is because when you unpack it you can unravel and, and talk about so much so yeah like the last couplets you were talking about does just that you know it sets up and, and brings up mm-hmm. ideas of colonialism and mm-hmm. land its relation to land and and what we inherit through generations even through food exactly um and um I don't know if, if, if either of you two had the, the one that follows Passage 1951. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This this one. So, like, so far, the poem, this, the collection has started out so strong. But this one actually made me viscerally react. Mm. Um, I, you know, I exclaimed um, not so kind words that I wouldn't mutter in public um, by the way it hit me. Um, and just, I think the opening image is so wild. It's and it, but it, it just, it works something so well. Let me just read it out loud so people can feel it. And it, it just, it made me physically put my book down and just yell out, holy, <laughs> this, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know where were we, I forget, is this podcast supposed to be censored, uncensored? I can't remember. I can just mark down if it's explicit or, or clean. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> ah, okay, sorry. I should edit that part out. But anyway, um, yeah, it made me react. And so let me just read, read off that line. Once I saw shrapnel cut a woman's head clean off like a halved pill bug. Her legs kept carrying her a while from this world into the next. And when she finally succumbed, the baby strapped her back tumbled out like a squash during good harvest ah leave me breathless still even just reading it there that's some imagery not just physical Mm -hmm. but you know some of the some of the similes she and and metaphors she kind of puts into this image um and it's it sets up an environment of survival running Mm -hmm violence and it's a certain kind of way of of living of survival that a lot of us may not understand and so sometimes when we think about the word hunger someone's hunger is not our hunger but in this case she definitely makes that point in wartime in battle in chaos um she's talking about her and her siblings just trying to survive um and the kind of hunger that is a hunger that we do not know i do not know i feared you know she mentions this these a couple of lines that stand out to me i feared we would never unwild ourselves i think that's a great way of, of putting it to unwild um and then she talks about you know stealing food finding food um we grew to love the iron and death my sister began to smile while looting bodies and the sight of her put freeze in me. So that in itself is, is pretty like bone trembling, right? That kind of uh, what kind of smile this might be. But then again, her, her last line just has this, this kick hits me. Um, it was only after seeing her, I knew what my own mouth was doing. So it's also out of this where, you know, I, I you know, my ignorance, I had to go and look up the korean war and um yeah this poem did something for me in terms of that type of setting the rest of the book up as well 
Yeah, man. I, I really liked how you, um, you know, what your, your commentary in, in, you know, how the, this poem um, struck you. Right. And I think it's one of the things about the power of, of the written word is, you know, how it's just able to, to move you and, um, you know, um, all it takes is, you know, one stanza. Um, I, I, I think, um, you know, uh, to me, I, I also uh, was thinking about that, um, you know, the historical context and then the, the Korean war and, you know, the, the survival, right. That was, was, um, you know, that they had to do. Right. And, you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like, um, you know, just, just right now. Right. You know, cause a lot of people during the, the pandemic right now are, are suffering and, um, going hungry, you know, because they're unable to work, um, or they lost their job. Um, except in this case, you know, th there's, the um, a whole war around them. Right. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, um, I think there's a certain, um, I don't know. I, I just think it's really interesting how, um, Jung is able to, um, integrate this, um, imagery by, you know, whatever grenade went off here, right. That ended up decapitating the woman. Um, it's, you know, it becomes something else. Right. And, um, um, I don't know. It, I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but just, um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely a, a breathtaking, a breathtaking poem in and of itself. Even just kind of seeing yourself and other people kind of comes out and observing what state this situation has put her sister into and realizing that this mm -hmm. is also herself hits particularly well yeah 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 and also like we we don't get it here yet but i mean there's also it's mentioned in other poems and i guess we, we'll get to them but you know there's also just the threat of them being women um and even though they're children it's you know it's definitely mentioned that um there's other types of violence right and and just the need for survival, right? You know, they're taking what what they can, you know, because it's a war zone, right? And I remember, you know, um, with the the the, the Black um, Lives Matters protests, that a lot of people were saying that, you know, that the connotation of looting is that, you know, it's it's stealing, right? But um, you know, a lot of it is just plain survival, and there's a difference, I think, you know, between what some people think is looting is really just another person's scavenging. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think from that perspective, you know, for the classroom, it would be an interesting discussion of how, you know, when, when those protests were going on, right. And people were going into the store, you know, it wasn't out of spite, right. It was just that, or, you know, to make a scene or whatever, it was because they actually needed, you know, diapers or whatever food. Um, so I, I think there's that too, that the politicization of, of survival and the shaming that goes with that, especially because so much of that is now, you know, on tape, right? 
versus you know here in the Korean War, it's the only way that we get the the recording is through of this is through history books and poems like this. Yeah, and and I think yeah, history books is is one thing absolutely, and then I love in in art like poetry and writing. Um, you're able to also imp, you know inject emotion pathos into your work which i think can definitely um have a, a much much more stronger effect sometimes on the reader for sure um and it's interesting you know this is passage 1951 and the poem right after is also uh, a 1951 poem bone soup you know so so it goes from that war imagery of survival to um you know another of the themes of the poems is how you know going back to the first poem the the nature of food um i don't know if any of you had this one or if you all wanted to go to the the one in the page across it for now nothing burns well i mean i think it's a good it's a good companion to the previous one and it just again framing it as as this is a hunger that many of us might not know mm-hmm. it just it's you know described well but i think i think for the sake of maybe podcast time we can go on sure um well i i had this this next poem then uh on page seven for now nothing burns and it begins with an epigraph from a um, harlem renaissance writer uh gene tumor um quoting from Cain here stir the root life of a wavered people call them from their houses and teach them to dream um you know, it's it's one of those poems um, where the lines are displaced uh, and and arranged in in it in their own form. Um, and what um, my strong lines for this one were um, at the bottom of this page and the page that follows. Um, call it sanctuary, call it call call us lotus. We bloom and brought rise fog bodied into tomorrow. When we get there, I will beg for rations, feed you corn syrup, spoonful after sweet, mournful spoonful. Um, it, it, um, you know, it, it's a poem that begins, um, you know, by talking about um, a wreckage and, um, you know, um, escape, right? You know, trying to seek shelter and safety um, and then it goes into this imagery here at the end of um, a kind of rebirth um, and, you know, ends there with, um, you know, um, again, the, you know, the, the running theme of this collection of food, you know, of where it's it's rations and, and it's just, you know, corn syrup, right? Um, and yet, you know, within that consumption, uh, of course, that you know, there's mourning, right? And you know, they've lost family or what have you. Um, so I I really like that the, the poem because of how it's able to, you know, speak about um, the ritual of, you know, um, getting spoonfuls of of this sustenance, and yet at the same time. You know, um, it, it, it's almost like a, a, an offering in a way because, you know, it, it's um, it's it's trying to move on from what just happened. 
Did you have anything for this one, Vanessa? Um, well, towards the beginning, um, where it says, the people strewn around us are not people, only reservoirs pumping into one great vein. Um, and we haven't really, I, I interpreted these three poems, um, Passage, Bone Soup, and For Now Nothing Burns. I interpreted them talking about like immigration too, not only wartime. So I kind mm -hmm. of connected it to people who are immigrating to the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so this one, I kind of thought about like, um, like people that travel in groups together mm -hmm. to kind of get to the border. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought of that, like the people strewn around us, like all the people that are traveling together, they're all going to one place and they, they think, and later it says safety is not far. Um, I think because they're, they're definitely trying to escape something and, and that's why they're trying to leave where they are and to, for a better life for themselves and their family. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, cause I was going to, I'm glad I asked you too, cause I was going to bring up the exact same line that you, um, <laughs> in connection also to, um, this, this element of, I guess using imagination to escape or to dream, you know, um, you, you see it in the, in the tumor part here in this poem, uh, the beginning of the whole book as well, like we mentioned. Um, but what, from the line that you read also what I, what I actually did underline was the, the continuation of that. Um, talking about the people strewn around them, um, as reservoirs pumping one great vein, like kind of like the, the way we're all connected as a, maybe like a culture of people. But um, the line that I, I think is interesting that I, I highlighted is what's spilled is a river we must follow. So it's just kind of like the survivors, kind of like that river we must follow. I think it's just like we always saying like, how do we continue this journey of survival? In many ways, it's like about mm -hmm. sacrifice. And that's a theme that we've talked about for many I think it's a theme that's mentioned in, in many of the other books we've read, especially, you know, kind of generational sacrifice when it comes to immigration. So I see what, what you're saying there, Vanessa. Um, and in this case, right in the, the, the yeah, again, just like kind of like um, a, a war torn country. Also that kind of escape. And of course, I also highlighted the, the part that you, you called attention to. Jorge. Yeah. Um, we rise bog bodied into tomorrow is a, is a freaking nice line. And then just even the image of, uh, getting that sustenance, you know, corn syrup. I think like in the U S like some people were like corn syrup, get that out of your diet and stuff like, but it's, it's just like, again, what's a different kind of hunger. Mm -hmm. I do like the way it compliments is almost like an ending of these three poems. For sure. And it's a respite, you know, at the, the, uh, the title, you know, for now, right? And so whatever conflagration, whatever explosion from the war, you know, just happened, um, you know, there's ash, right? And uh, there's the, the exodus, um, like you were saying, Vanessa, about, you know, seeking asylum, right? Seeking safety and, and sanctuary and, um, um you know, it goes from 1951 um, to on page nine. Um, if you wanted to go, if y'all wanted to go to the next one, um, diptych of girl in 1953, 
And pre-show, I know that you said, Vanessa, that uh, you had some thoughts on this one. Yeah. Um, I just think this one's really about like the sacrifices or like the things that women put themselves through in order to have this better life, like especially um, people who are like women who are migrating and trying to find, um, seek asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, the second and third stanza, it says, somehow I was a virgin before this. They call me Western wife or rag. Um, and I just, I think that women put themselves in the, um, or allow men to use them in order to be able to make it to the sanctuary. Because, I mean, not everyone does make it. Like, a lot of people do die. And I think, like, in in Passage, um, I think that that's, pretty common in like people like groups that are migrating like mm-hmm. people are looting the other bodies of the people who are killed or die from like dehydration or like starvation um right. heat exhaustion poss- possibly even um but yeah i think a lot of women allow themselves to be used by men when they're making this um, voyage, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that in comparison to like the other poems. Yeah, that, that's uh, very well said. Um, you know, I think it's it's it definitely rings true again about how violence against women is perpetrated um, across. You know, these migrant. Um, you know, in some ways, you know, these are these, I guess, could be interpreted as migrant poems. And um, except, you know, it's it's migration from the east. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it is interesting how, um, you know, there's a kind of, I guess, from the stanzas that you read of um, I commodification, you know, because it says, um, like you said, right, this idea of a Western wife and um, it says a little after, um, soon I will follow a white man to America, his war relic bride. How to tell you without waking and I'll trust. And, um, you know, the poem is addressed to the speaker's baby brother, right? So it, it's also this kind of uh, passing down, right, of this knowledge um, to the brother. And I think it's interesting that it's a baby brother because it implies you know that this this uh even though the the the, the brother is a man i mean it is is a male um that you know they're still innocent and therefore still able to kind of learn about how you know um the the patriarchal views of of, of so many cultures uh end up you know commodifying women in this way um and my strong line you know at, at the end in the third stanza was um where it says tell me again of love in its dark mirrors well-skinned pair our cheeks in the dust the wet shred of a body 
your voice carrying clear over the threshold. Sister, welcome home before you turn to embrace me. Um, and uh, it, it's just a be beautiful imagery there um, of this, the, you know, the, the duality of love and uh, the, how the, this woman going across this journey is able to find, um, you know, that sanctuary, right, and, and a home. Uh, and, and again, it's a sister that she finds it with, not not with a man, right? Or like the white man that is mentioned in the mm -hmm. in the previous stanza. Because mm -hmm. I was thinking about the date too. You know, the date 1953 is the date when the Korean War unofficially ended. Um, so I guess you mm -hmm. know the ceasefire or, or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so it implies that that there's this peace you know, that, that the speaker is able to um, attain, mm. as it mentions in the, in the last stanza too. Yeah. Did you all want to jump to the, to the next one or Richie, did you want to add anything? Um, I can, but I, I think there's other poems. Like I'll just say like, I, I had the same uh, strong line that you did. That Vanessa did as usual. Oh uh, no, that you did. Oh, mm -hmm. Hmm. That's a first. Um, <laughs> um, well, I, I had I had the the next one uh, field notes for my grandparents, um, and my strong line, you know, was in the first stanza that says at the right at the very top, "This ghost I know by name, Father. I wanted your feet in a basin of silted river before I fled across the border." Um, and then later on, you know. The, um, there's a, an address here that says, Dear Young He, Fate is a Lazy Man's Fever Dream. Um, and so just going back to what you were saying, Vanessa, you know, I think this is the longest poem so far. Um, but, um, you know, just even from the first stanza, uh, it goes back again to migration. And, um, you know, of course, us being here in, in El Paso, I couldn't help but make the connection of the Rio Grande and so many migrants, you know, crossing it, right? Um, and, you know, traversing the, the dangerous river and the, the, the desert, of course, um, because, because the wall makes it such. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think there's also this, um, um, again, you know, given that it's grandparents, this is being passed down uh, to the speaker. And, um, you know, such that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, portrayed as, as field notes, right? Implying that, you know, these are notes taken from the, the wartime. Um, and um, because of, you know, the, they, they have to flee, right? And, and become uh, refugees. Um, so I, I really like the point because of that. Um, yeah. So those were my thoughts just from the, the very beginning of the poem. Yeah. My, I have something on the, on that first stanza as well. I don't know if you did Vanessa. No, no, I didn't really have any notes on this one. Mm, okay. Yeah. And the very first stanza, I actually, I mean, so yes, um, absolutely to all, all that you said and, 
the very end of that stanza, I think, um, is important. And it resonates again throughout the entire collection. And, um, you know, again, I was, I was fascinated by the connections between poems. And, and this one, I think, is one of the prominent that I think will be better to talk about in the next episode when we talk about the second half of the book. But I, I do want to talk, set it up. Um, so, yeah, the, that stanza ends after the note that you that you read. In our village, the clot of hunger never loosened. When I fled without returning you to earth, you did not resent me. Please say it. You did not resent me. I think it's an interesting kind of um, conversation, I think. And, and again, so you're talking about, like, again, intergenerational, the things we carry, including kind of like that hunger, hunger as a theme, you know, um, being in the, in the village, that kind of hunger never loosened. But um, I love this. It's not even like a question, like, please say you don't resent me, but rather it's an acknowledgement that there was never returning you to earth. Um, I highlighted, I put a star next to this, and uh, it connects to something in the second part of the book. I don't know if you guys saw that connection, but we'll, we'll talk about it the second, the next episode. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean... Um... You know, as as the poem progresses, you know it um, it goes into um, the actual um, the war setting, right? And so the you know the the imagery here, such as you know my leg darkened with rot, you know after, and it, it's just really interesting how the bombs are portrayed as eggs in the previous stanza, where it says, you know the planes dropped their eggs, hashed the red so loud the landscape was struck briefly mute. Um, I love the, the imagery of another one where even it says, even newly out of war, we are afflicted with spring. A flower grows through the hinge of a bone, all stem and snapdragon. Yeah, I was trying to find. Um, it's on the next page on, on 13. Mm. A great imagery packed into these stanzas here on these pages. And I like the way they're scattered about as well. Yeah, you know, I, I really like the Young's juxtaposition of um, the the war imagery uh, with the, the food, you know, going back to the corn syrup. Here we get, um, you know, uh, on that last page, um, the third to last stanza, uh, baking soda and sugar melted into brown shapes by, by street side vendors. So... Yeah, it's just um, a, a very powerful and, um, um, you know, I, I think the, the juxtaposition, you know, makes sense, right? Because the culture here is so interlinked with their food and the food is, is you know, it speaks to the, the, the pride and the survival um, because of the war. If you all flip the page, uh, we get a poem titled uh, "Immigration," and uh, I I had some thoughts on on this one. I'm sure you all did too. Um, but I had the second and third stanza. I don't know if any of you had the first. I just had a line in the first one, and towards the end of the stanza, um, it says, "They look and see hardly human," and that one, I just, I underline that one because um, I think 
that a lot of people look at other cultures and people who don't look like them and see them as less than I think um and so that that really that line really resonated with me Mm. yeah and and it's interesting as well Vanessa how um you know I think there is another poem where the speaker is addressing the sun um and I guess you know there could also be of course um the pun there right but I think uh you know it reminds Mm -hmm. me of um of uh, book four paradise loss where Satan has a soliloquy towards the sun. Um, and, um, you know, for me, the, the second sense that jumped out, uh, with the line that says, um, when they reached, did you think of loaches dying between your thighs? Um, and then it goes on how they gorge and writhed as you boiled them along the river walk rock of your childhood stream the burnished pot frothy in its red and copper the men will live to callous their hands further son in this life i will be your daughter and you will teach me how to run and you know that last line um is is isolated right and and i think that's an interesting positioning for it um you know, makes it a, a kind of uh, volta on, on its own, right? Um, mm. But, you know, once again, I, I, I do really like that imagery of, of the food um, that is, in this case, a memory. Um, and the, the men here that are mentioned with their callous hands um, and um, the personification of the sun you know, as, as, as something that will have a daughter. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's what I really liked about this poem. And of course, you know, just that um, it's, it's a poem, you know, titled Immigration. And, you know, we, we've, we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about immigration poems uh, with Citizen Illegal. And, you know, um, so I think it's interesting to kind of get this this uh, different take on it. Yeah. Um, we had um, on 16, I don't know if any of you had homonyms. Mm-mm. I mean, I had, a, I had a few kind of things I had underlined and, and made note of, um, but I don't, know, I don't know. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I did, I did too. Yeah, go, go ahead and start it off, man. Uh, so yeah, first you know the epigraph uh, provides us with uh, the 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 Korean characters Hangul, uh, and the word here is in English is we'll spell that Um and so it's interesting the how young is gets uh, the homonyms here that you know for letter A uh, means to burn or singe by fire. And then B to carry, give a ride, pick up, right? And so they're almost, um, you know, um, s- separate meanings, right? Um, and for me, you know, the strong line is that towards the bottom, where it says, um, "You did until your girl- girlhood grew dangerous, as it does for all girls." I've been sorry ever since. You burnt on the coattails of our immigration, singed your tongue on America until no tongue was rightfully yours. 
until you came home disgraced, having pissed yourself instead of asking to go to the restroom in English. But I wasn't ashamed. I burned you gently in my arms, burned you all the way home. And daughter, you will not forget these aches you learned. If you have a daughter, you will burn her too. Um, so I really like how uh, Young uh, takes the Tayuda here and makes a poem out of it that references the um, assimilation. And, um, you know, again, we get that gustatory imagery of, this, of the tongue um, and it, how it, you know, becomes singed. Um, and, um, you know, the situation of, um, you know, pride, um, in, in speaking the, the tongue, uh, and, uh, I think, you know, many, of course, many immigrants can, can relate to that, right. Is, um, you know, sometimes that there is that, uh, shame that is attached to not speaking, um, your home language or not being able to speak your non-native language right the language that you immigrate to um so yeah i i um it, i i really like how you know just with that word itself right you you know it's it's both a burning of your you know whatever your mother tongue is but also picking up right picking up that that new tongue at the same time yeah man uh this is this is uh i love the way that that jung interrogates language or like the meanings behind words and in this case um i guess the polysemy of it of it all like mm -hmm. we can attach different uh, meanings here as clearly stated and it's awesome again you know i, I actually put a star next to the exactly where you started reading <laughs> from this poem <laughs> You know, for the same reason, and and so, you know, I think you pointed out pretty well enough what what I I picked up on that as well. I also did like um you know just kind of a the call to to motherhood and and having daughters and um I liked at the beginning of the poem. There's like just kind of the reference of like natural remedies, mm. you know, mm. um, jaundice thing. So she's like sick, um, and so she to kind of remedy she had her suck the milk of dandelions. Um, sliced antlers rendered to tea um, to help with, with coughing and I think uh, going back to like maybe making tea is that kind of care as well and she she only has the hope for her but she knows as she grows older um, things are going to get harder and it's just kind of one of those recognitions I think in this poem yeah I mean um, what you mentioned there I think there's also that idea of, of um, you know um, when the girl matures and becomes a woman right you know that lines that say i did dislodge your limbs and hopes you grow to something live and desired the suggestion of a girl right and you know that the idea of, of girlhood being dangerous uh as well i think that's actually the line i was i was referencing when we were talking about uh passage 1951 mm. sisters and they're and they're surviving in this war war zone but you know this is a a kind of war that goes on and perpetuates in reference here yeah um yeah so so that's uh that's homonyms and um after it is i don't know if i any either of you two had um 
I revisit myself in 1996. Vanessa? Um, hmm. I, I didn't have a specific line really in this one. Um, I just like that it's a memory and she's kind of putting herself back in like her innocence, I guess. Um, I liked the, towards the end, the last four lines. Um, she says, I've seen Halamoni erect enough garlic stems and carrot roots to know how this works. I cover the bones in soil and wait for pigs to grow. Um, I think that that one's so cute because she grabs the ham hocks from the trash can and decides to go plant them. Um, and she was, she's waiting for pigs to come from, from that. And I think, I think that that's so cute. Um, because she's seen her grandmother do it with garlic stems and carrot roots. Mm -hmm. So she's like, oh, well, then this is how you get more of this thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that that one's so cute. Yeah, I I highlighted um, several lines, including, including that one. But um, there's some that I loved. Um, English has just begun to bruise my tongue. But I, um, and I guess it's it's important. Like now we have a poem where. It seems like the setting is is now the U.S. California, as opposed to Korea, um, and you know again just some of the lines that I really appreciate um, when talking about like the weather, like you know California it's sunny all the time, um, and then she says except at night when God throws stars like darts and punctures the ground sometimes. Sounded mm -hmm. nice. is nice, um, and of course the last line um, that Vanessa last lines that Vanessa read. Um, and wait for pigs to grow. That kind of made me think of uh, Milton. I don't know if you doesn't he do that in Paradise Lost when he he kind of inverts mm. creation, and mm -hmm. you know he describes animals growing out of the ground like plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, that's already the second Milton connection. So I had to, I had to ask the Miltonian over here. <laughs> to, see, to see if he agreed with my with my with my guess <laughs> well and it nicely aligns you know with the previous poem right because it's talking about growth and life you know and um yeah and and migration as well right you know and uh kind of the beginning of the deassimilation right you know that there's a resistance there right and the but by saying but I am all Korean. I I thought that you know that's reminds me a lot of Jose Olivares. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, if we turn the page, we get the first. I think this is the first uh, recipe poem. Um, and it's uh, aptly named War Soup. Um, you know, we talked about this in the first episode, right? About how young uh integrates um recipes into the into and makes them poems um i i really like this one and, and how it's able to do that it's able to become a poem um you know just looking at the ingredients you know you get um the, the pork belly right going back to that that pig that was growing um <laughs> And uh, but you also get American cheese, you know, which is interesting. And um, 
you know, takes us to the war soup and, and you know, colonization. Um, and um, I, I also liked, um, you know, uh, number five, um, then spam, more tofu than animal, cut to cube. Say, we may do with what we did. At the bases, the Americans gave cans of beans or meat. We weren't picky, bowled it all with weeds and scraped carcass. We called that Johnson Tang, rejoiced like we never again need to eat, as if the miles were no real thing. Now chili, now green iron onion sprigs. Um, so the hunger again, right, that we've been talking about, um, you know, with something like spam and, and just making do with what they have, right, beans, et cetera, uh, carcasses, um, you know, again, goes back to that survival. And um, it, it's, it's also an offering, you know, because it's italicized there and, and it's something that is now becomes part of the recipe. I highlighted some of, actually, yeah, I highlighted all of five, like you pointed out. And um, I, you know, pretty much, yeah, again, a lot of the same things. During the ingredients, I, I highlighted the fact that it's American cheese in the recipe now. Um, and then I also marked down where, you know, it takes on the look of um, a normal recipe. But I started highlighting where it starts to kind of transition. Like it starts to kind of blend into something else, into, into a poem. Um, mm -hmm. Starting with, I think, two onion carpeted in pork fat and rice wine flared very briefly and ignited landscape like okay now you wouldn't start to see that in a recipe book like wait what how <laughs> an ignited land landscape and i think even um at the end of that set it all to boil no witness low heat um and then so it starts to transform to eventually four and five you you have these interjections that um are, are pretty great i highlight all of five for the same reason that you did and uh, the last stanza as well in, in seven right where what a blessing to have passed through hunger i will teach my daughters to bear their palms i will teach them how to beg um yeah it's, and as you mentioned it's the first uh recipe poem called war soup and and we see this all uh, a couple more times throughout yeah, and, and we've seen that uh, begging as well, right? The begging of rations, you know, being war survivors, war refugees. Um, and, and again, going back to the American cheese, not, not to harp on that, but I, I also wanted to say that, you know, it, it's not even real cheese, right? And just like the spam, there's a, there's a certain artificialness to the food that becomes part of of this recipe because of because it so it's kind of like a symbolic colonization of of the of the cultural recipe right it, it's been tainted you know by the american cheese and by the spam <laughs> um plastic and like the the leftovers of all the other foods <laughs> yeah yeah i i like that line you know more tofu than animal um I hadn't thought about insulting spam by, you know, connecting it to, you know, something that would be vegan, right? Um, so, yeah, um, just really, really interesting way of, of using food. Did you all have uh, the next one, Daughter Transmorphic? I think one of you mentioned it. 
I did. I don't know if you did, Vanessa. Vanessa, are you there? Yes, I'm I'm relooking at it. Sorry. Oh. Mm, no, I don't really have anything specific to add. It's still to talk about for this one. Yeah. Um there's a little bit of like meta narrative going on as we're reading this mm. this book about women and and kind of mat matrilineages as she says here mm-hmm. um yeah there's just some strong lines that i i liked um like mama if lore has taught me anything i know queendoms like language can't last long childless i think it's strong enough in its own merit and then it continues why must all tired s- stories start with an exit of the mother a matrilineage expunged and covered in moths nothing mouthing what's left Flip the page. Gone is the matriarch. Close the book and blood seeps between chapters. Now, men with bayonets. Tomorrow, dogs. In no version are they not hunting us. So it just, I think, just very in your face, kind of bringing this theme out. And like I said, it's just almost very uh, meta narrative of us reading it and, and asking us, flip the page. Blood seeps out between chapters. Like, it's that much of enough to call to and you know as you were saying that richie it reminded me of of uh Chris's collection because of remember how you know there was the short story um um forget what it's called but you know about the or just in general right the the men as predators and the the woman as prey you know, and so so here the the idea of them being hunted, right? Because uh, the matriarch is gone, um, and I think it really speaks to that. You know, um, the importance of a matriarchal society and and its valuing of women um, as a kind of protection and the passing down right of that knowledge for them. Yeah, and. Um... I like how she she also brings up language as well, and I think uh, one of my favorite poems is a little later on where it's another recipe poem that brings up language. Well, we have uh, two other ones um, right next to each other: Yellow Fever and Saga of the Nymph and the Woodcutter. Um, did either of you have either of these two? I I have stuff highlighted, but I'll, I'll only add if you guys. Um, no, I mean, my next one was um, Recipe, actually, the the one called Recipe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, my next one is um, on page 32. You said you had fish, uh, no, you said you had Recipe? Yeah, I had Recipe. So did I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the same thing, obviously, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so first, uh, the... Uh, the recipe itself, um, you know, it's in Hangul, uh, and I, 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 I don't know what it what it says, right? So um, the the ingredients, you know, uh, so we have whole chicken, uh, soy sauce, you know, these are uh, I guess pretty standard ingredients, um, and you know, it, it's it's interesting even just going off to the first step. You know, again, we get the hen, um, it, you know, the, the, the caressing of the carcass. Um, 
But then, you know, you get to number three and uh, it says, Pio de Ninjin, grandma says in Japanese. Doshi means daginun or carrot in Korean. She mistakes the two often, so I know what she means. Um, and it says, the skin curls beneath the Perry Knife's persuasion as I think of colonization via inheritance, via memory. These words I have no reason to know, but do. Um, you know, going back to what we talked about, about the occupation of, of, of Korea by Japan, um, and how here, you know, the, it results in this, um, the grandmother, you know, using the, the Japanese word for carrot, um, and how, you know, just like for us here in the border, right, with English and Spanish, mm -hmm. You know, you you use the two interchangeably, right? So there's a kind of code switching um, when referring to the same thing. Um, you know, and that's just kind of the beginning of it, you know, because I had the, the last two, I mean, the last three steps as well, where it goes more into that, you know, um, basically saying, um, you know, she calls us to that, Doritan, despite controversy. Some believe it roughly translates into chicken, chicken stew. Dak meaning chicken in Korean. Dori derived from Japanese, chori, bird. A sim silhouette of occupation tethered to our language like a haunting. And I just, I just really love that line. Um, others say this is not true. Rather, they posit the etymological root of Dori lies in. And then it's Dango there characters and then it says um to cut out or discard um yeah after decades come and gone grandma cannot discard japanese uh our, our tongues boil down to language broth skimmed of fat during occupation this song was dangerous um and i could go on you know but i'll stop there because it is quite a bit but uh i just want to emphasize that you know how this this recipe becomes a whole other thing, really in relation to the occupation, to language, how language becomes blended with one another, right? That the the colonizer language and the language of the colonized, evident in this recipe, and how the grandmother cannot yet do away with with the colonizer language. Um. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. But there's a lot in this one. Yeah, those are the exact uh, passages I had highlighted because uh, I think it is fascinating um, how she brings it up in three. And I love the simplicity of how step four is just a parenthetical note, a tongue cleaved without, uh, sorry, a tongue cleaved with trying, um, which I think is a succinct way of talking about this concept, you know, as uh, both literal and metaphorical, right? A tongue cleaved with trying. Um, and then, yeah, six, I think is, is the passage I, I drew, I draw stars next to like the, the heavy, like, yeah, that's it. This is the one we're going to talk about for sure. Kind of line. And, um, I, I absolutely love that line as well. A slim silhouette of occupation tethered to our language, like a haunting, um, because it does tend to language does this, right? I mean, when we, as people who study language, we understand that it's always changing, adapting and, and a lot of that some of that is always also through war through conquest through colonization um so it's always interesting to to look at the etym etymology 
and reason for why awards are the way they are. And so I really appreciate and love that Yun does this in, in these recipe poems, in particular this one. And uh, yeah, this one I really loved as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just for the, for the sake of time, you know, um, did um, I, I, I know you mentioned this next one, Richie, the diptych of animal and womb, the second diptych already. Uh, but you mentioned this one in the first episode, so I don't know if if you wanted to um, to talk about it. Well, I mean, it's definitely worth I think maybe diving into. It's it's one of the more interesting ones. Um, but I I think yeah, again for the sake of time, because I know we're we're nearing definitely over an hour now. Yeah. So, and I know I want to get to I think we're a couple poems from from finishing this episode, and I know. Vanessa had one so I, I don't know I just definitely recommend people to to read it and check it out and uh, we did mention the in this case it starts with the epigraph to it references reddit and uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was it's a you know pretty misogynistic quote um, and so it's her response and I I think as the artist it is our call to to respond to these things in the world that um, you know it's like our our response is necessary so I mean I love that she's done this um, of animal and womb, um, but maybe maybe we can explore a little later. But I definitely want to make sure we have time to get to these other pieces because I think Vanessa, you said you had a thirty-two. Yeah, um, I mean I didn't have a specific line for this one, um, but this one I I had to stop reading for a second. Um, I basically almost cried reading this one. I just, um, so it's called Mother Undresses. Um, And the speaker is just kind of talking about the scars that she sees on her mother. And um, I don't know, I just, this one was really hard for me to read. (laughs) But I feel like it's, it's a really good, poem were there strong lines in particular Vanessa that you wanted to highlight um um, it says look what the fever did so I look and I see her mottled gosling thing covered in blood red blossoming she calls yellow not flowers of fever flowers of contagion that have rendered her grotesque um I don't know I think the imagery is really strong in this poem Cause I could just, I could, I was able to picture this woman like covered in these scars and um, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot to be said about like this idea of undressing. Like there's a little undressing, but there's also maybe, maybe uh, an emotional, um, there's that line mm-hmm. I've, um, where she says, I'm surprised I've never known them, but she withholds so many things. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot in these these scars and these marks on her mother's body. Yeah. 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 And and you know, I was, you know, I was looking up that phrase, yo caught, you know, and what actually popped up on Google was uh Young's book first. So that was like the first result. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting concept that you know we've seen again the the blending of of this kind of um you know, um, 
the 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 blooming right i can't remember which other poem it was but um you know the, the just this idea of growth right um but it's kind of interesting how it kind of represents this as this kind of um you know uh violent imagery Mm-hmm. And again, you know, just you know, the 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 verb, the anaphora there of that bastard, that bastard, um, and it's kind of interesting, you know. It says, and remember, she means the fever, but it's interesting how it's kind of just gendered that way. I mean, even the fever, like references. I think we skipped it, but there's the poem earlier on, yellow fever. Like, oh, of- right. Well, you know, um, I think maybe we can we can stop there, um, you know, um, and finish uh, the the rest of this collection um, in our last episode, our next episode, I should say. Um, well, just to to the listeners, I'll say um, as I as we usually say, you know, if you're able to pick up this collection from your local bookstore. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, we're just about going ready to, um, to release that playlist. So keep an eye on, on Instagram, um, like we were saying in our first episode. Um, and, uh, you know, if y'all want to contribute your songs to this collection, um, right, Vanessa, is that what we're going to do? Yes. Mm -hmm. It'll, it'll be through my Spotify, I guess. Um, but I'll I'll link it in our social media pages. Sounds good. All right. Well, um, thank you all for uh, listening in. Uh, this was a long discussion, and we're only halfway there. Um, but we'll resume uh, with the second half um, in our next episode. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Literally Literary, brought to you by Border Senses and Power at the Pass. We discussed Some Are Always Hungry by Jun Yung. If you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Follow us on Instagram at literallyliterary.ep and on Twitter at literallylitep.